This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Good evening and welcome to Hooked, Joy 94.9's program about addiction. Research shows that the LGBTI community has addiction problems of at least twice that of the general population, and we want to explore why and how this has come about. There are many suffering addiction, many more that are affected by those in active addiction, and people that are grateful in recovery. My name is David. Hi there, my name's Russ. What are some of the reasons behind these problems? Are there pathways towards recovery and change? How does addiction affect loved ones, family members, and part? We believe there needs to be a conversation started in our GLBTI community about addiction. Sure, and if you'd like to join us in that conversation, uh, you can send a message to us at hooked at joy.org.au, or you can check out our Facebook page. It's hooked on joy94. Unfortunately, we can't take any SMSs or uh, messages straight into the studio because we are broadcasting remotely. Well, David, I just can't believe that I'm I'm broadcasting in your bed tonight. Yes, well, we're going to get better sound quality here. We do get better sound quality in the bed, and and you've got a nice double bed and a lovely room here, a room with mirrors on it. Queen size. Queen size, excuse me, and a room with mirrors for whatever you use it for. But but I digress. We're here for addiction. And we are in Port Melbourne at the moment. It's interesting because broadcasting remotely here at 8 o'clock, you know, it's really interesting because nobody can tell if we have pants on or not. Well, I, well, I, I haven't. <laughs> I've got shorts on as well. Yeah, I've got shorts. But, of course, nobody can really tell. And I suppose that's something that we really need to think about in all our affairs. Hey, by the way, I've got to mention that if you're experiencing immediate problems or if content of this program raises issues that cause distress, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or Beyond Blue on 1300 22 46 36. And, of course, there is a fantastic joy 94.9 support page, which is joy.org.au slash support. Couldn't do without joy 94.9, very important. Yeah, and I think it's important to hang around close to our radio station because, number one, there's great public announcements, there's news every hour, which is amazing from our news team, and also it's a way of keeping connected with our uh, community yeah. as well. I was actually talking to a, um, well, I shouldn't say this, but it was an ex of mine who has gone oh. back to Brazil, and he said things are pretty tough over there. Uh, they have very big austerity me- measures in place as well as the virus uh, measures in place as well. It's a very, very hard place to live at the moment in Brazil. But he said one of the things that he still loves is listening to Joy 94.9, and that's somebody right around the other side of the world in Brazil. Well, I love Joy 94, and I love being given the opportunity of being part of the Joyster Club. Now, we should we should go straight to our guests because we've got a couple of hobos in a park somewhere, don't we? Well, yes, but they are socially well-distanced. Uh, tonight we have to welcome two of our favourite New people, well, one new and one old, not in age terms, but we have tonight with us Tracy, who has been on Hook before, and also Sebastian. Hello, Tracy. Hi, guys. How are you? Welcome from the park. Sebastian, are you there as well? Hello. How are you? Now, guys, you're um, you're, um, in Faulkner Park at the moment. What's it like there? Beautiful. (laughs) Lots of shirtless boys, nice view, nice afternoon, social distancing, of course. 
keeping our distance from the boys. <laughs> Lucky them. Yeah, I had noticed that, Sebastian. <laughs> I went to my local park yesterday and um, I took my top off and they all ran in the other direction, but I know what you mean by that. Well, that's one <laughs> way of creating social distance, Russ. <laughs> it is, it is, absolutely. <laughs> hey, now, Tracy, you've been on our program before uh, and it was quite some time ago, but you're always a welcome guest on Hooked, of course, here on Joy 94.9. Now, one of the reasons we have the two of you on tonight is because one of you has been in recovery for quite some time and one of you is quite new to recovery. But just to remind people um, what it was like for you, what was your journey taking you up to the point where you entered recovery? Mm, me? Me as the yeah. older so, member? Not um, in age, but as in a person that's been in recovery quite, for quite some time. Unfortunately, in age as well. But um, I spent a lot of time in my teenage years and my 20s getting really ripped, um, could not stop drinking. Once I had one, I completely wrote myself off. Many parties, many people's bedrooms, not as salubrious as yours, David, I can assure you. Some <laughs> 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 dreadful places I ended up in. And uh, I was known as the vomiter. So people would invite me to parties and as soon as I walked in, they'd give me a paper bag. Um, so as soon as I'd had, you know, a fill, I would certainly throw it up and I learnt very early that if I did that, I could actually drink more and it could also stop the room spinning. So a lot of lying, a lot of cheating, lots of dodgy behaviour. Um, and at 23, I'd had enough. Um, you were in a relationship too, weren't you? I was. I was in a relationship with a woman. Uh, one of the last memories I have before I came into AA was of throwing her against a wall, um, mm. really drunk, and uh, beating her up and coming to the next day with uh, lying in the same bed and just feeling sick at the big bruises all over her face and, yeah, awful. And Did I can remember. Some... Go ahead. Sorry, Trace. No, I, had, I didn't have any control of it. You know, I just alcohol turned me into a monster. It turned me into some horrific person. I couldn't imagine now doing that, but no. that's where it leads. I remember hearing you tell us that story uh, quite a while back, and I was just absolutely gobsmacked. And you could have heard a pin drop in the studio at the time because I know you now, and I've known you for a, a little while now, but. It's just so far from the sort of person you are. Uh, I guess there's that Jekyll and Hyde. You know, a lot of people, yeah. um, when they come, when they stop drinking, they understand that uh, alcohol turns them into this evil thing that they really just don't want to be. And it's no and different. To give us all a bit of context, I mean, you and I, you and I are exactly the same age. So, I mean, it was a time when. Um, you you did go out every night for a drink. Um, it was the eighties and the nineties, and and that that was what was done. That you you went out every night, you socialised every night. Homosexuality had been legalised for a couple of years, so you know what you were doing didn't seem that strange to to you at all. In fact, it was very exciting, right? That's exactly right. Exactly. Uh, what life was like, partying all the time, drinking heaps, you know, picking up new girls every night, um, much to my partner's <laughs> um, not not being too happy about. But I used to. I, I was, was almost a prostitute in those days. Um, and, you know, you, you mentioned the, the that's what life was like then and we had, uh, it was pretty soon after I came into recovery that 
we have the AIDS, AIDS epidemic, which is kind of taking me back to those times at the moment. We had it's funny how you mentioned how those, those times were with parties and things happening all the time. It must have been very easy for you to hide your addiction. Yeah, completely. No one noticed the, the drunk girl except for the vomiting. That was the only that was oh, my yeah, point <laughs> they, they talk about rock bottoms, Trace. What was yours? Uh, the, the beating up. Uh, one day I drove along a – I was driving a lot. Um, I drove along a motorway and I thought, okay, this is it. I've had enough. If I keep driving straight ahead, I can drive into the bank and hopefully die. Uh, at the last minute, something pulled the steering wheel and I ended up the next day going to a meeting of AA. But for me, it was about suicide. It was about – bashing people up, it was about hating the person I was and mainly just not being able to have one drink or two drinks. It was always 28 drinks, 29 drinks. It was always crazy, crazy revolving behaviour. Did you think you had a problem? I thought that uh, the people had a problem. It was only when it was pointed out to me by a woman I worked with that I needed to have a look at my drinking and that my behaviour wasn't normal. Driving drunk every Friday night wasn't normal behaviour. So that's mm -hmm. why I'm so interested in doing the show because it's about putting it out there, you know, that that, that behaviour is not normal. And if you mm -hmm. have a story about your drinking, then this is the place to hear about it. Well, that's the thing too because those things that we know that we're doing in active addiction um, – at the time, we convince ourselves that they're not normal, even though deep down inside we know that they are not normal. Yep, that's true. Did you, um, did you find getting sober was um, the hardest thing that you've ever done in your life? Uh, it's a good question, Russ. Um, at the time, it certainly was. Um, at the time, there were a lot of emotions and everything to that point I had done drunk. Uh, I had dealt with death of my grandmother, I dealt with the whole raft of stuff, losing jobs, keeping jobs, just living. I dealt with all of that while under the influence. And when I stopped drinking, I had to learn how to actually live, how to grow up, how to deal with anger in an, in an adult way, how to deal with sadness and fear, all these other things. So giving up drinking itself um, came reasonably easy. Um, I think after a few months, I didn't desire drink anymore. It just sort of went, which was lucky. But getting on and getting sober and learning about living without it was, was probably a bit harder. I've heard people say, because yeah, uh, you were just talking about 29 drinks there before, I've heard people say uh, and ask uh, those in addiction, which is the drink that gets you drunk? So was it the 29th drink that you got you drunk? No, it was always that first one. I, I could never tell when I had one drink whether I would end up having 29 or passing out at three. But the first one's the one that made me physically addicted. It, um, I could taste it, you know, the, the mental obsession of thinking about drinking. And then the physical craving after I'd had one were amazing. Um, Trace, one last question before we go to a break. Um, you obviously joined Alcoholics Anonymous, but what we try to um, uh, let people know on Joy, and especially this particular program, is that there is 
there's lots of help out there. Did you seek outside help from AA as well? Yeah, I have done, Russ, throughout the years. I've um, had to deal with sexual abuse um, that no matter what AA did for me was to open my eyes to all other ways of improving myself as a person. One of the things I found was that uh, I was sexually abused and it was really something that kept playing on my mind. So I went and had counselling for that. Um, When I had to come out to my daughter, I found I had some internalised homophobia that as much as I processed through AA, I still needed to go and talk to someone about it. Um, I believe there are people who can do it, who can stop drinking without AA, but for me, I need that support group. I need the fellowship. Um, I have a sponsor, as an example, whose job it is <laughs> to listen to me when I need it. There's no, other, and she doesn't charge me, which is great. So it's a free, <laughs> okay. yeah, free service. That's <laughs> good to hear. Um, Sebastian, would you like to tell us how, uh, welcome to the show, of course, and how you came to, uh, what, what's your story, basically? Uh, well, my story, I'm just about a year sober. It'll be a year on Good Friday, and uh, which is fantastic. And uh, so my story, I um, pretty much, alcohol as a teenager, I just loved the escapism it gave me. It was like this instant release. It just made me feel good. Um, and uh, I just got rid of all the noise in my head. I got rid of all the emotions. I got rid of all, I just... I just loved it. I really did. And uh, even as a teenager, my love affair with drinking in the morning started, especially on Christmas Day. <laughs> I used to love Christmas. Any any chance to get my hands on alcohol, I loved it. And uh, and then um, I just I was just quite a big binge drinker back then, but I just loved it. I never wanted it to stop. And uh, oh. I got advice. Sorry. Uh, interestingly, Sebastian, I don't know where you grew up, but you're a proud and out gay man. Do you think your drinking had something to do with your sexual identity? Oh, absolutely. I grew up in like a, a rural community and uh, it was like, you know, back this was back in the 80s, like gay was bad, you know, pufta was bad and oh. uh, it had a lot to do. And so I, and, but I didn't really know I was gay. Like I had girlfriends at the time and like I didn't, but I didn't really know what gay was. Like I remember back then on the TV, all we had was uh, Julian Cleary from Sticky Moments <laughs> You know, and like Alton John, and I was like, I don't quite, I don't feel like I want to dress up and run, you know, like that. But I, and so I didn't really know what gay was, and so I think I just kind of removed all those emotions. I didn't know how to talk about. It. I didn't know who to talk about it with. You know, I grew up in a very, like, you know, you're supposed to be straight. Like I was ha- as a teenager, I was handed a cartoon book with a man and a woman in <laughs> home from my parents. Like this is how babies are made, and I'm like, ah, oh, okay. You know, but um, I'm grabbing my sister's um, rugby league calendar and, you know, perving at those, you know, the hot guys, you know. <laughs> and so, yeah, alcohol just kind of – and I told myself alcohol just helped me get through high school and uh, it was like I thought I'd figure it out later. And so then I moved to the city. I came – and, like, my binge drinking was always bad. And uh, then I moved to the city. And then once I came out, though, it just got worse. My drinking got worse. It was like, whoa, party time. Let's have some fun. And uh, then it got worse. And the drinking in the morning started. I loved drinking in the morning. I did empty stomach drinking. And uh, then it just kind of it just got worse. I look back over my life. Uh, my drink, it just kind of weaved its way harder into my life. And uh, I was drinking every day. I had a, I've had a good career. 
I worked. Yeah, in. I was talking about that, Sebastian. We often look at, um, um, especially GLBTI community members, and they're, they're all high functioning. I mean, they keep down a job, they pay their rent, they're able to do so many things to um, to keep the ship sailing. And that sounds like you are one of those. Oh, absolutely. I had it nailed. I absolutely, I was nailed all the time. And I had it down. I just was able to function. I just kind of, I got away with it, you know, a lot, but it, it always ruined things in my life, but I would always just drink it away. And, uh, it was just, yeah, it was, it was just, it was part of my life. And I remember in my twenties when it started the daily drinking, I was like, this is just how my life is, you know, and I could never imagine a life without alcohol. Never. Not at all. I just couldn't imagine. But back then it was, I knew it was a problem, but it wasn't a big enough problem that I needed to, uh, you know, get help. Do you do you think um did you, did you ever have friends and family kind of mention to you you might be drinking a wee bit too much? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I did. I was living in Sydney at the time, about twelve years ago, and I was in a relationship. And uh, my partner made me go to an AA meeting, but I walked in and I was like, oh, I'm I'm not that bad, and walked out and got drunk. And uh, um, it was it was bad enough back then. It really, really was. And uh, but I. I got into another relationship. It just kept ruining everything in my life, but I just kept moving to a new city, starting a new life. And, uh, but then it just got so bad. It just got worse. And, uh, my health got bad. I had, to, I was told I needed to give up drinking. And, uh, but I just couldn't stop. I just, there's no way I could stop. And we often talk about, um, um, geographicals, is, 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 which, which you've done. So what, what does a geographical mean? What does that mean? I'm not too sure. What do you mean? Yeah, so generally what we would say is what you were doing is you would move um, because you would think that yeah. um, life would be better in another place if I didn't live in this city yes. or if I didn't live in this country town. Um, but you would get to the place that you were moving to, but you were still you. Yes, that's what I felt. that's what I realised a few years ago. I started to come to the terms with. The, it was about seven years ago. I came to uh, terms with the reality that I I needed to get help. That was when it was like I couldn't stop drinking. It was stuffing up everything in my life, and I knew moving to another city would it wouldn't make any difference. And I was that's when I started to get serious about it. And uh, um, yeah, but I I come to the terms. I come to the fact that yeah, by moving, I was always running away. That's and I couldn't run any longer. I needed to face up to my. Funny you should say that, Sebastian, too, because they say that the further you move, the bigger the problem. So if you'd moved to England, you would have known you were pretty close to the end of your tether. But like, what was the what was the biggest move that you did? Country town to city town, or from city to city? Um, city. Um, New Zealand and Australia. I've lived. Yeah. Backwards and forwards. Pretty big move. Also, when I mentioned to, to Tracy before, was it easier to hide amongst the crowd? Like if you're going out and uh, keeping right in the scene, is it that ease of being able to blend in with everybody else? Maybe you're worse than a lot of other people, maybe not as bad as the very worst of the worst. Was it easy for you to blend in? I think I just become really clever at covering it up. Like, mm. uh, And also I just, um, yeah, just like because I would – I kind of had a double life as well. I would have my people I could drink um, normally around, and then I had the people that would see me drinking. But I could normally pull it together. You know, I would, I could pull it. I just become really clever at getting away with it. And uh, um, yeah, I just it was kind of it was definitely like a double life I had, yeah. and I knew yeah, like a lot of us did have that double life. What was what was your rock bottom? What was the worst thing that happened to you that made you think? I, I just honestly can't do this any longer. Um, it was quite 
it was the final couple of years of my drinking that it kind of started to go back. To me, it was the madness. I was, my mind was completely insane. I, w- I wasn't eating. I never ate. I would just drink all um, during the day. I was sick of it. I was sick of the pain. I was sick of the insanity in my mind. I was sick of all the lies I was telling and having to cover up all the lies and the stories, and I couldn't keep track of who I told what to. And I was just sick of it. I was sick of always just the financial trouble, always in financial trouble, but I was always doing, I was always making good money, but it would just, everything would disappear. I could um, get nice things in my life, but I couldn't keep them. It was pretty much my that, story. And what about feelings? Was there a real sense of despair around all of that? How, how did you ask for help? Basically, the first thing I did was I got on the phone to my family and I just got myself, the final month of my drinking was complete insanity. I got on the phone. I just had enough. I woke up one morning and I was, I had to, I basically had to come clean with everything in my life because I couldn't go on. And uh, so I just got on the phone to my family and I just rung them because I'd wanted to do it for years. I'd wanted to, I remember waking up in the middle of the night wanting to message them, I need help. Can we talk about it in the morning? But then I would, I would go, oh, think about it in the morning. And I would wake up and then I'd be like, oh, because the cravings would be so strong. And mm. I would be like, oh, maybe. And then, of course, I'd have another drink and then it would keep rolling on. And so I basically just jumped on the phone and told them straight away. I told them everything that was going on in my life because I knew once I told them it was case closed, time to get mm. sober. And so I did that mm. and then I um, got to AA. And how amazing was that feeling to tell another human being what what was going on in your life? I mean, it's it's such a relief, isn't it? It was. It was a relief. It just because my life my life was a mess. I still had it wasn't completely ruined my life, but everything was. I just couldn't. I just couldn't go on another day. I was done. It was case closed, and so it was a relief to just come out and tell them with everything that was going on, and they were able to help me. Just you know help get my life back together, but it was. It just felt great to – it was like, okay, it's stuck. Because that is, that is the hardest thing. It's like to reach out for help is mm. – it's hard to do, but it is. it was definitely the best thing I've ever done in my life is just ring them and say, I need help. And just to um, be clear to anyone else who's drinking, I was a morning drinker as, as well, Sebastian. You and I both agree now that we've been in A and we've been sober for a, a length of time. That's not normal behaviour. Yeah. So you and I have you and I have both been sober for X Y Z months now. Yes. And we both know that the morning drink because I used to love my morning drink every morning. Um, that, that's just not normal behaviour. <laughs> no, it's not. I was at last no. week with this whole virus, this whole virus thing. Last week, I was waking up going, "Oh my god, I want to drink so bad." I just want to like sit in the bath and drink all day. That's what I wanted to do, and I, I'd have those cravings in the morning. And I would tell myself, "It's not right to have these cravings in the morning." You know, to want to drink, it's just not right. And of course, it's yeah. not right. But I just, but for years, it was normal for me. It was just how it was. Convincing ourselves that the behaviour that we're doing is actually normal, as long as we can pay those bills. As long as we can turn up to work and as long as we can put on a good polished sort of look and uh, attitude to the rest of the world, I mean, uh, it, it's amazing how we can fool ourselves so much. So, Sebastian, I've got a question for you. You yes. are sobered up, which uh, congratulations, and, you, and you're um, almost at 12 months. So round of applause to Woo! you. Very exciting. Woo! 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So you decided to utilise the um, services of AA. You don't have to go into a great depth, but how, how how good was that for you? It was scary at the start. It definitely was, you know, because it was like, you know, alcohol was my life. And uh, so, but I knew I needed to do it. And so I just kind of, but once I got there, I was like, my first meeting, they asked me to share and I was crying. I said, I'm just proud of myself for finally doing this without a doubt. I was proud to finally walk through those doors and uh, get the help I was, I knew I needed. It's funny because I always thought that Alcoholics Anonymous was a place where alcoholics drank anonymously, but apparently that's not the case. Um, now, you've been in recovery for a short period of time, but coming up to a year, which is great, and we really uh, commend you on that. But how has Tracy, who's somebody now you've known for a while, who's been in recovery for uh, considerably longer than you, how has Tracy been able to help you? It wasn't the fact that you're both just Kiwis, was it? <laughs> <laughs> it was. I, um, uh, no, definitely the thing that uh, surprised was a nice surprise at the start was that there when I got to AA was there was these people who have got a lot of time up in AA mm. and were happy. I was like, oh, my God, what is this? Well, who are these people? What's wrong with them? You know, but then I realized it was, you know, that, but I loved the – it gave me hope, you know, with someone like mm. Tracy to see she was happy, she was healthy, she was, so, she was such a nice person, she was caring. That was the you know, what I what I loved is just the and to they share their experience with me because I just soaked it up. I was like, oh my god, just tell me what I have to do. You know, I want this so bad. I'm sick of it. I knew I couldn't go on drinking any longer. I needed to remove the alcohol from my life, and so it's just yeah, just to soak up the. But it's just the hope they just gave me so much hope that it is. Were you possible. scared? Were, were you scared, Mash? Scared about the whole sobriety. <laughs> Did you find AA, um, AA scary initially? Oh, it was. It was at the start, especially like I was a everyday drinker for over fifteen years, and those final couple, those final couple of years, it was just round the clock drinking. And so to have the alcohol ripped out of you, and then you're having to sit in a room and open up about yourself, like that was just scary as hell. But I realised from the first time I went in that there was people, you know, people offering advice and you could just sit there and listen to how people were, um, you know, dealing with the everyday or dealing with the alcohol, you know, um, cravings and things like that. So it was scary, but I knew I was in the right place from the moment I went in and uh, I knew I was doing the right thing without a doubt. So were these other people that had been in recovery for much longer than you, were they sort of like leading the way for you? Is that what it is? Or were they oh, telling you what to do? They were just... um they were just kind of like people like Tracy got um, a, f a bit of time up. It's just I would hang on to the every word, you know, like uh, just the advice, like they say, like one day at a time and, you know, just to be able to sit with your feelings and uh, just ways how to deal with cravings at the start, you know, like pick up the phone, things like that. Just there, it's just, I think it's amazing that people, um, people like Tracy go to AA and share their advice for us newcomers and how we can do it and how we can achieve sobriety and what we can expect from sobriety as well. It's just incredible. It really is. Sebastian, I've got a um, feel-good story about Tracy now. I, when I first met Tracy, I had my uh, a white T-shirt on and a white pair of pants and I was sitting in, in a circle at an AA meeting and, and from across the room she kept pointing at me saying, oh, I love your white pants, you look fabulous. And I just thought that she was the nicest person I'd ever met in my life and she just made me feel so relaxed and welcome. Do you, do you feel like that about Trace? 
Absolutely. I really do. I absolutely adore her. I adore her from the moment I met her. Um, she actually reminds me of one of my, um, some of my aunties. I call her my, um, gay sober auntie. <laughs> and, uh, she does. As soon as I met her, I was like, Oh my God. Cause, um, you, re- you remind me exactly like, um, any of my aunties if they got sober. <laughs> What's a sponsor? Okay. A sponsor. I was lucky. I had, um, the most amazing guy. I'm grateful every day. I had a guy reach out to me one week into AA and say he would be my, um, we hung out for a couple of days. He came to a meeting and then he said he would sponsor me. I didn't even know what a sponsor was. I just said, yes, you tell me what to do at the start. And I just said yes to everything. He got me to a meeting every day. He got me to call him every morning as well. And he was just there to help for any, like he helped me to deal with cravings, you know, what, how to navigate AA. Just, he was there for my go-to. It's like he's passing on his all his experience to me and he was I call him every day and he just he's taken me through the 12 steps I've worked the 12 steps of AA he's just there to help guide offer advice and uh yeah incredible AA is incredible the people that have time up and offer their time and experience is just um yeah it's just really it's awesome it really is and that's unconditional too, which is amazing. Now, Tracy, you've been in recovery for a much longer period of time. So I'd figure you've got it all together. You don't have to do anything anymore. And uh, that's about it. It's all done. You're cured and everything else. So how on earth does somebody like Sebastian, who's new to recovery, how does he help you? Um, I wish it was like that. It's very much one of the things you learn very early on is that there, this is a daily cure. Um, I need to be onto it every day doing the same program that Sebastian does every day. I've got 24 hours, the same as he does, and I can do, I can choose to live it as happily or as grumpily as I, as I want to. The main thing that you get from being around longer is that perhaps you've had more experiences doing the same stuff over and over. So rather than in the early days, I might have sworn at the dog. These days, I just kick it. You know, you just learn that over time, you just get easy. Life gets easier and easier. And what you also do, what I get from Sebastian, is just that that sense of passion and that sense of when you come out of like a a fog of alcohol and you find yourself and you start to experience things, um, you know, just general feelings, just the passion you have for living. It's just amazing. And it really inspires in the same way that somebody who come, who only just comes into the program and just sits around and doesn't do the program. When you have someone like Sebastian who throws himself into the program, gets a sponsor, does the steps, you know, really gets it with a passion it's such a nice thing to see and I get a lot out of there's another saying in AA about giving it away to keep it and I can sit on this you know cruise for the rest of my life but I get so much more joy and um, excitement in seeing new people coming in getting well getting on with their lives that's you know that's all I need heartfelt it's very hot in your bedroom. I, I'm sorry, we're we're um we're streaming live from David's bedroom, and it's very hot in here. Is it hot at Faulkner Park, guys? Lovely. We're just sitting in the sun, having a lovely time. <laughs> it's beautiful. This is a particular time in our uh, lives that we'll probably remember forever, uh, with social distancing and everything else, uh, with the the. COVID-19 virus and the pandemic on um, because uh, a lot of your recovery, uh, well, both of your recoveries are dependent on being in contact with other people. Um, what do you do, uh, Sebastian, to 
maintain your recovery? Um, I'm quite, I'm grateful that I, with just about being a year sober, I'm feeling really good. I've worked the 12 steps. Um, and what I really am so grateful for is I've got a beautiful support network of people in my life because I've done regular meetings. I've got, um, lots of contacts and, uh, we're just ringing each other throughout the day. And, uh, yeah, what I, I love is you can't meet with those people anymore. Yeah. Yeah, and we, I find um, the past couple of weeks we've just been ringing. We just jump on the phone and call each other. We're calling each other more. We're FaceTiming each other as well. And uh, we're just reaching out and making sure we're all, you know, um, just, you know, we're doing all right and we're, if we're having any problems. But what I love about since I got to AA is I've learned to be honest about how I'm feeling. And now I understand how I'm feeling as well. I can kind of – and I talk about how I'm feeling, whereas in my past I never did that. So it's just, yeah, I've, you know, I'm just grateful that I've got all these beautiful people in my life who are, we're just calling each other, we're messaging each other more, just, uh, yeah, FaceTime, you just keep it in contact. And it's made a really, really big difference. It really has. And I'm just so happy to be sober through this whole virus thing that I'm not just drinking it away. I'm actually sober and uh, I'm waking up without a hangover mm-hmm. and uh, to deal with this um, whole Sebastian, virus I'm thing. Sebastian, I'm not sober in, um, AA and still go. It's my lifeline to to the world, and I love the fellowship. Uh, what would you say to anybody out there with regards to the difference between a cult and a fellowship and 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 peers? Because we're all peers. It's nothing. It's nothing like people would imagine. It's very hard to describe, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's definitely not a cult at all. It's like a. It's just a fellowship where people come and share their experience, really. So you can just kind of wander in and uh um just wandering and listening you don't have to take any like and it's all suggested everything there is suggested nothing's been rammed down your throat if you don't want to do it you don't have to um we're all there because we want to be there we want to be sober we want to we want to hear how other people are doing it how other people are staying sober what they're doing to stay sober and so that's what it's all about really it's yeah it's not nothing's rammed down your throat yeah, it's there if you want and to. And before we go to Tracy, did you need to seek outside help as well? I was seen a psychologist for a few years before I got to AA, and it kind of, no, it didn't work at all. <laughs> it didn't work. She even, um, yeah, it didn't. But I need, I knew I needed to get sober. Nothing was going to work when I was still drinking every day. And uh, But it's it's now a nice add-on to AA. AA's worked for me. AA is my life. It's the first thing in my life because without AA, I won't have a life. The psychologist is just somebody I go to to just sit down and let it all out. But it's always AA first, without a doubt. Now, Tracy, tell me during these pandemic times, what are you doing that's a little bit different and how do you maintain the contacts with, with your social network and your recovery network? What are you doing that's slightly different now? Sure. We had to uh, set up pretty quickly some alternatives and they included Zoom and FaceTime with other, particularly with sponsees I have around the place. So just had to do that. And can I say that all the younger new people in AA have been fantastic at setting up online meetings, haven't they? Huge, thank you. Yeah, brilliant. So the meetings that I was going to pre- COVID-19, I'm still able to attend regularly. It's a little bit different, obviously, because it's from my bedroom, but it's also been really nice getting to know people's pets (laughs) and (laughs) how they live. Like a brandy bun. Yeah, it looks like that, doesn't it? But also I have a network outside of AA as well that I really 
you know, keep in contact with. And we'll get through it. And as I said earlier, you know, that we, we've been through the AIDS virus and uh, the AIDS tragedies and there was a lot of miscommunication and misinformation back then. And in the same way, we'll get through this. You know, we're strong and, and AA in particular is a really strong network. It's been around for a very long time. And so Tracy, good luck, people guys. Don't, people don't have to... Um be all encompassed by COVID-19, do they? You know, you can, if yeah. it's not AA, there's Narcotics Anonymous. I mean, it's just, and, and as you say, it only takes two people in um, Alcoholics Anonymous that you're actually sharing, that you're giving yourself a break from that from that COVID-19 madness. You, you, you don't have to yeah. be engulfed in it all the time, do you? Look, I don't think so, Russ. What I do is I get up and I read the morning paper for half an hour and that's it then I'll get on with the day and this is very much an AA principle you just live in the day do what you can do today get yourself a bit of a routine and set up what works for you then I don't listen to the TV or radio all day I get on and I do I'm lucky enough that I can still be working at the moment so I get on do that at night, six o'clock, I'll listen to the updates and listen to what Mr. Scomo is talking about or more relevant for me is what Jacinda's doing <laughs> and um, follow those instructions, you know. But I can get out uh, at the moment here. We can, we're lucky enough we can still go for a walk in the park. We can meet Sebastian and catch up with you lovelies. So thanks for your service. It's Look, brilliant. It's been, it's been great having you the two of you on the show tonight and uh, thank you so much for both of your time but thank you Sebastian and also to you Tracy uh, we're going to go for a moment and uh, we're going to uh, we look forward to talking to you again on Hooked in the future thanks for having us thank you thanks thank you. guys now Russ just in case people do need help during this particular time, there are many, many services that they can uh, go and check out. There are all the services that are mentioned on uh, the JOY website, which is joy.org.au. Uh, and if you put in a slash support, uh, there are some great ones listed there, as we well know. Things like, of course, Lifeline is there and also Beyond Blue is there. And there's, there's heaps of others as well. There's Switchboard. QLive. QLive. There, look, it's actually quite heartening to hear that the, um, the, the government has definitely recognised that there is going to be a lot of distress on a mental health level, as well as uh, distress that, that people do, um, do have problems with all sorts of things in their lives. So they are channelling lots of funds into the support services and you know the support services have been for years saying we want more mm. more funding and all that sort of stuff but it's good to see that there will be some money channeled into that because they have recognized through the national council that people will be calling on those services more and more so mm. you see know joy.org.au yes slash support so make sure you do look after yourself and we hope that you've enjoyed tonight's show and remind you that if you're experiencing immediate problems or if content of this program raises issues that cause distress you can call lifeline on 13 11 14 or beyond blue on 1300 22 46 36 and go to joy.org.au slash support now it is important to move away from self-destructive reasoning recovery involves breaking the cycle of addiction removing the trigger of negative thinking and restoring us to emotional sobriety one of the greatest highs in life is feeling good about ourselves and everybody deserves that always remember that none of us are alone in this world and that the first step in recovery is just to ask for help 
That's right, because we want our community to be one of hope and look forward to your company next week as we continue to explore addiction on Hooked. Meanwhile, it's goodbye from Russ. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me, David. Goodbye. This Joycast is a free service brought to you by Joy 94.9. Support Joy 94.9 by becoming a member at joy.org.au. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.